0: On that spiritual note, I want to uh, start with this series with six killer tips on prayer.
1: Hi, I'm Johnny. And I'm Chachi. We're getting here ministries.
2: You know, a lot of people come up to us and ask us hard questions about God and the Bible and spiritual living. And you know, while a lot of those questions are softball questions for us,
1: there are actually some pretty good ones. One of them being, how do I have a better prayer
2: life? Well, good news, we got some killer tips to a better prayer life. Before we do that, though, let's start off with a title and some dance moves.
1: Uh, We're not doing a title and a dance. Let's just kind of get
2: into this. When you're saying a prayer in public, you want to use the phrase Father God as much as humanly possible.
1: Just last week, I said a 30 second prayer and got 17 Father Gods in it. Now look, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying with a little bit of effort, it can be done. If you have a prayer request, but don't actually want to request it, simply say, unspoken. I currently have six
2: unspokens that I'm praying for this guy about. Johnny, sorry to bother you, but I actually have another prayer request. Okay. What? It's unspoken. (laughs) Okay,
1: well that's seven. And while I have no clue what I'm praying about, someone does.
2: Just no one
1: human. The Bible says pray without ceasing, and well, we believe in the Bible. Chachi has been praying without ceasing for over 32 hours now. Chachi, how do you feel?
2: What, who said what? Where am I?
1: Well, Chachi, you have been praying for over 32 hours straight. You feel pretty good?
2: Can I get a restroom break?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not if you want to fully obey scripture. Let's say you become privy to some juicy information about someone, but don't want to be seen as a gossip.
2: We've got good news. You're good to go if you put it in the form of a prayer request.
1: I still cannot believe what Jill said to Keith.
2: I can't believe it either. Did you know that John got canned? What? Are you you Let's talk
1: about it in a prayer group. Some think your prayer position is irrelevant. But we have found that your prayer position can not only boost your prayer life, but can stretch you physically. Chachi, why don't you go ahead and show us some examples?
2: Well, I wasn't really planning on praying, but I guess I could give it a shot. OK.
1: Oh, very nice. Good. That is classic. Wow. Seriously, wow.
2: The last thing you do when you pray is fairly obvious. You say, Amen.
1: And if you happen to be in a group of people holding hands, it's imperative that you accompany that Amen with a physical action known as the hand squeeze. The squeeze lets the people on either side of you know,
2: hey, the prayer's over. I care about you, but I'm letting go now. And when you are holding hands, Never interlock, because that can make your prayer partners a little uncombed.
1: We want to thank you for watching, or shall I say growing, in your prayer life.
2: Yeah, now can we do the, the title and the dance moves?
1: No, just kind of say thanks for watching. And
2: That's seriously unreal. This is actually my miracle position.
0: <laughs> All right, it's just... It's just funny to laugh at our, uh, our Christian, uh, <laughs> just us being Christians. It's just funny. So, uh, let's look at learning to pray, not like Johnny and Chachi, but learn to pray like Jesus. So, maybe that prompted some thoughts to you about your own prayer life. So, look in your notes there at the first question. When it comes to prayer, where are you on this spectrum? between being a prayer learner and a prayer warrior. Where are you on that spectrum? And uh, just, you know, think about that. Think. I want you in this lesson or in the, in the beginning of this series to think about your prayer life and where you're, you're at in it. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Wherever you marked yourself on that, Wherever you are, this study is for you. Whether you're like, oh man, I'm, 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 I'm prayerless. I'm really living a prayerless life. Or I'm a prayer warrior. I, I, I truly have a consistent time where I pray. And I, I do pray without ceasing. Not like how they talked about, but I pray. It doesn't matter where you are. This lesson is an intro to the next 11 weeks where we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And none of us have mastered prayer. And so we all have something to learn. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15 for the entire series. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And so while you're there, follow along. Let's read the passage. It's known as the Lord's Prayer Uh And there's no fighting that. That's just historically. But in reality, it's the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer is really in John 17, where Jesus himself prays. Here he teaches us, as his disciples, how to pray. So it's often known as the disciples' prayer. Or, as you're going to see through this study and even today, uh, I like calling it the family prayer. But here it is. It's in uh, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. When you pray... You are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, my disciples, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret Will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, and here it is Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or as some translations, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then he comes back to forgiveness. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So there's the overview. We're going we're to break that down. We're going to apply that to our lives. But as an introduction this morning, I want to share with you two assumptions that Jesus makes about our prayer lives, and then four goals that I hope will be accomplished and I'm praying will be accomplished in your life and mine. So let's take a look and begin with the two assumptions uh, Jesus makes about our prayer lives. And here's the first one. Jesus assumes that we are all, we already are praying. Jesus assumes that we are already praying that we already are praying. Did you catch that? Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Three times in this passage, verse 5, when you pray, verse 6, but when you pray, verse 7, and when you are praying. Now, I stopped and I looked at that, and it's very obvious. He assumes they are praying. He assumes we are praying, but why does he assume that? Now, I don't have these in your notes, but I'm looking at that. I think there's three reasons. And the first is, it was very cultural to pray in those days. It was very cultural. And you covered the whole mass of humanity by Jew and Gentile. And so in verses 5 and 6, he's looking at how many Jewish people would pray as hypocrites. Then he goes in verse 7, and he talks about, Pagans, Gentiles, heathens, the bottom line in those days, you, you wouldn't go to the grocery store without doing a public act of sacrifice and praying. You wouldn't get together with your club or with your, 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 your guild for work without praying. So praying was just a, a, a natural part of their lives. And how radical is that from, from our secular culture that we live in? Right? I mean, we, you know, if you pray, you're the oddball out. So, it was a cultural thing to do. Secondly, it's a natural thing to do as a human being. Praying is just natural. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. God made us to commune with Him, to seek Him, to know Him. To talk to him. That's the image of God. It's just the natural thing to do. And we pray naturally uh, just throughout life. Plus, in we're not only made in his image, but what are we made out of? What are we made out of? Dust. Exactly. We're made out of dust. That means naturally we are a needy, weak people. Now, I know we try to act like we're not, but what happens... When life comes crushing, all of a sudden, our prayer life goes from zero to what? To ten, right? And not only that, then we, we're like, we want other people to pray with us, right? But when life is going the way we think it ought, and when it's going in a way that we think we can control, well, I don't need prayer, and I don't need you to pray for me. Listen, foxhole prayers are not just said in foxholes. You know what a foxhole prayer is, right? That's when you're in war and you're about to get killed, and you promise God that you'll, uh, you're like Martin Luther, I'll become a priest. Uh, I'll become, I'll do anything you say, just get me out of this. Well, listen, we do foxhole prayers all the time. Think about it. Anytime life doesn't go the way we want it to, what do we do? We shoot a prayer up. God, help me with this. What happens when you get a flat tire? God, help me. I, I got it, I do this. In fact, cussing is a form of praying when someone says god damn they're asking god to damn and to curse now they don't think of it that way but that's you know that's what you're doing you're saying this situation or this person is so bad lord i want you to damn them and uh and so it's it's a natural thing to do and then thirdly i think the reason he assumes we're praying is because it is a spiritual it's a spiritual thing both John the Baptist and Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Why? Because prayer is truly a spiritual practice of true Christians, okay? Every true child of God senses the need for prayer. Prayer to the child of God is what air is to life. It's a necessity. So look at some of these quotes that I have here for you. Martin Luther said, "Prayer is the real calling" Of all Christians. It's, I was talking to Dane about job, vocation. This is our job. This is our vocation. And I love this by Robert Murray McShane. What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. Prayer, according to Andrew Murray, is the highest part of the work entrusted to us. The root and strength of all other work. And when we really believe that, then no, we, we begin to pray because we believe no person is ever going to come to Christ apart from prayer. We pray knowing that there can be no effective preaching no persuasive evangelism, no committed discipleship, no authentic mercy, no cultural transformation, no church health, no global outreach, no kingdom advance without further fervent praying, without our heart cry for holiness, God's kingdom... Doesn't advance now. God's going to sovereignly do what He does, but He has sovereignly chosen to work through our prayers, and that's what you got to. Uh, we got to get a hold of now. The thing is, if prayer is a necessity like breathing, breathing comes naturally, right? Did you think when you got up this morning, I, I need to, pr- I need to breathe? No, but prayer is not that natural, right? Anybody here find prayer to be just the natural? thing to do now how many people struggle with prayer yeah we all do and this is the good news jesus understands he understands Do you realize that even if like probably the great one of the great prayer people prayer warriors in the bible is the apostle paul you ever read his letters he literally can't write a letter without interrupting it and praying as he's writing the letter his letter's Uh, begin with, like Ephesians, begins with a prayer, in the middle interrupted by a prayer, and then ends with a prayer. And yet, do you know what Paul said in Romans 8, 26? He confessed, we do not know how to pray as we should. Now listen, if the Apostle Paul needed help with prayer, you and I do too. So I bet most of us here have identified ourselves as a prayer learner more than a prayer warrior. Well, Jesus, here's the good news, Jesus understands where you are in relation to your prayer life, okay? And that leads us to the second assumption, and it's this. The second assumption, Jesus assumes that we need to be taught how to pray. Jesus assumes we need to be taught how to pray, and that's good news. So, learning to pray... Here's how you learn to pray. And I bet you if you look and think about your own life, prayer is both caught and taught. Would you agree? It's caught and taught. And Jesus did both for his disciples. I want you to uh, turn your Bibles now to Luke chapter 11. Two times Jesus taught his disciples, it's recorded, he taught them how to pray. The first is where we're going to spend our series on, and that's in Matthew 6, where he's teaching a huge crowd, and he's talking about kingdom principles. The second place is here in Luke 11, Luke 11-1. And this is a more intimate setting where it's just him and his disciples. And here's what we see, Luke 11-1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, and what did they say? Teach, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And so right there in that one verse, you see how prayer is taught. So parents, grandparents, uh, disciplers, how are you going to teach prayer to your families, and to your disciples. It's going to be caught and it's going to be taught. They need to hear you praying. And you need to be praying with them. And so here's what's interesting. What was Jesus' reaction to that request? What was his reaction? Was he shocked? What? You guys don't know how to pray? Was he, was he disappointed? Oh, I thought you guys would be more spiritual after hanging with me. No, he didn't have any of those reactions. What was his reaction? No, Jesus knows that a lack of prayer, confusion about prayer, bad examples of praying are quite common even among his disciples. But listen, they wanted to pray and learn to pray. So that's really all God is asking of us this morning and through this series. That you want to pray and that you want to learn to pray. And Jesus says, come on in, because I want to teach you how to pray. Now, many Christians who are serious about living the Christian Christian life still struggle to pray. Okay? I know I do. And literally, it was like 22 years ago, I came to the conclusion, I need to do something about this. I need to do something about my prayer life. And I chose to become a lifelong prayer learner. And my prayer life has changed since that. My prayer life has deepened since that. I'm still learning. I haven't arrived. But I'll tell you, it hasn't been easy. In fact, it's war. It's spiritual warfare when you go to pray. We see that with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But here's the reality. Ask yourself a couple of these questions. And these aren't to shame you. These aren't to guilt you. But perhaps convict you and prepare you to learn to pray. So here's the questions. When was the last time you really prayed? Again, not a foxhole, not a flat tire, not a crisis. When was the last time you really prayed? Are you seeing answered prayer in your life? Are you seeing answered prayer? You know, a lot of times, well, first of all, if we're not praying, we're not looking for answers. Okay, that's the first thing. Second of all, a lot of times we focus on that one thing that God hasn't yet answered and we forget to praise him for the many other things that we have prayed for that he has answered. What are you learning about God through your prayer? You see, prayer isn't just going through a grocery list. Prayer isn't just... Go, using the same words in the same approach. We get in ruts in our prayer life. We, we should be learning about who God is, and God should be revealing our hearts through our prayers. What intimacy are you finding with God? Now, wherever you are in that, if you're a prayer learner, you're in good company. And so these guys ask, they ask, Lord, teach us. To pray. And I think that's significant for this reason. They didn't say, teach us how to pray. They said, teach us to pray. So here's the thing just coming, as important as it is, and hearing teaching on prayer, ultimately, you're not going to learn to pray unless you pray. Caught and taught. That's the key, okay? Teach us how to pray. So, Those are the two assumptions. Here's the four goals. So let's look at four goals for this series that I hope, uh, by God's grace and through prayer, he will accomplish. And the first one is this. The whole series can be summed up in this. Learn to pray to the Father like the Son. Learn to pray to the Father like the Son. Now, here's what's interesting in Luke 11.1. Luke 11.1 says this. Jesus had just finished praying, and I believe he prayed out loud. In fact, it was very common uh, in Jewish culture to pray out loud. And if you struggle with focus and discipline and prayer, praying out loud helps, okay? And, and praying not laying in bed helps. I found that uh, also to be true. So here's what he does. He's praying out loud, and here's what happens. They hear his heart cry to the Lord and they recognize his heart cry is not like my heart cry. In fact, when they compared their prayers to listening to Jesus, they realized, maybe I don't know how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. They heard, here's what I believe, and I, you know this isn't in the text, but the, something they heard in his praying motivated them to ask the question. I think... They heard him connect with the Father in a way that they did not in their own prayers. I believe they heard him converse with his Father in a manner that they did not talk with God. I believe they heard Jesus enjoying community with his Heavenly Father in a way that they did not. So think about that. Think about that in relation to your own prayer life. How do you connect with the Father? How do you talk with Him? And what kind of community do you enjoy? I think that by comparison, the disciples decided, you know what, we pray a lot because it's cultural and it's natural, but really, we don't know what we're doing. Lord, teach us to pray. I love that. I love that verse and I love that passage. So, they ask Him that. And really, what they're doing is what? they're asking the son of God to teach them how to pray like he does to his father. So here's our goal. Let's learn to pray to the father like the son by the spirit. You say, why do you add by the spirit? Because we live on this side of the resurrection and the ascension. And when the Son went up, The Spirit came down and birthed the church. And if you're here this morning and you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And twice in Scripture it says, Romans 8 and Galatians 4, I believe, that the Spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. So here's the deal. Learn to pray to the Father Like the Son, that's why we say in Jesus' name, it's through Him, it's by Him, and we do it by the Spirit. So, no matter how much you have to learn or grow, it's okay. You've got the Father who is eager to hear, the Son who wants to teach you, and the Spirit who will enable you. I think that's good news. So, second goal not only learn to pray to the Father like the Son, but here's the second goal. Learn to pray together as God's family. We want to learn to pray together as God's family. Now, Jesus teaches us to pray to the Father as a family. So look again at the Lord's Prayer in your Bibles there. Look at Matthew 6, verse 9. Here's Jesus. He says, okay, okay, guys, He's on the mountain. He's got a crowd, a multitude before him. And he says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven. Two most important words. Our Father will do a whole lesson just on those two words. Now here's the good news. When you look through 9 through 13, when Jesus teaches his disciples, it's all in the plural. Do you see that? Look through that prayer. Our Father, plural. Give us, plural. This day, our daily bread, plural. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Now, right there is a revolutionary paradigm shift for many of our prayer lives. Because typically, what are we praying about? Me. Myself and mine, oh, I pray for others, yeah, others that I care about, others that that really if we're if we're honest, we pray for others in a selfish manner because we want we pray for our kids because we want them to reflect good on us. We pray for our job because we want to look good on the job when you really know. That you're praying with God's family is when you pray for people that you have never met. Like our missionaries. Or not our missionaries. Hopefully you've met them. But the people who are the unreached that we're trying to reach. When you're praying for people that don't, you can't get anything from. And you may never meet. And they you may never see them until heaven. Then you know you're beginning to pray in an unselfish manner. Now... So, put this in a family context. God has many children in his family, and you know what? Like a good father, he loves when they're all talking together. He loves to get the family together and hear them converse with him. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about, and we'll talk about this more next week. Have you thought about how your private prayer life compares to your public prayer life? So not only do you pray in private, but do you pray in public? And do you tend to... Because there's two ways of doing this. Sometimes we're comfortable praying privately, but when we break up at our tables here, maybe you're more silent and you don't want to pray in a table uh, with a few other people. I would challenge you, we need to grow in both those things. And next week we're going to talk about how it's a real temptation... To pray in public, especially when you're in a vocation calling like mine, it's easy to pray in public and then be prayerless in private. So here's what I want you to see, is there's a partnership between private prayer and public prayer. In fact, there's a symbiotic relationship between solitary prayer and shared prayer. Because here's what happens. How you pray in public is an overflow of how you pray in private. And when you pray with others, like in our class, when we sometimes break up and pray at our tables, or more importantly, if you're in a grow group, here's what happens. When I hear other people pray, I learn a couple. I I learn a lot of things. First of all, I learn their heart. Heart cry. That's what this series is all about. I hear their heart. When I pray with others, I hear their heart. Secondly... I learn things about God through their prayer and their prayer relationship with God. One of the biggest blessings that I have is in our grow group, when we split up, we split up men and women, and you get in smaller groups, but sometimes even when we pray as a whole group, it is just a blessing, a blessing to hear the prayers of God's people. Amen? And I grow through that, and you will grow through that, as well so here's the goal here's the goal let's learn to pray to the father like the son by the spirit but let's do it with his family jesus assumes we're praying together so there's our goals let's look at goal three here's the third goal third goal is this learn to pray with a heart cry for his holiness Learn to pray for a heart cry for His holiness. You say, Chris, why is kind of the subtext, subtitle, subtweet of this series, our heart cry for His holiness? Well, look at the Lord's Prayer there in your text. Our Father who art in heaven, what's the first request? Hallowed or holy be your name. Holy be your name. Everything that flows from that prayer is a heart cry for his holiness. And what does it say? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. So it's our heart cry for his holiness on earth. As it is in heaven. So we're diving into the middle of the book of Matthew. I just want to I just want to give you the big idea of Matthew's gospel. It's consistent with this. So here's the big idea. I have it written out in your notes. The God of Israel is fulfilling his kingdom plan all throughout Matthew, it says, according to prophecy. You know, all throughout Matthew, everything that happens in Matthew is according to an Old Testament prophecy. The God of Israel is fulfilling His kingdom plan through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why Matthew 1 and 2 identify Jesus of Nazareth as the one who is born in Bethlehem and who the Magi come to visit as the King of the Jews through His Son, Jesus Christ, but in an upside-down manner. Where did the Magi and Matthew come looking for Jesus? At the capital, Jerusalem. At the palace. Where was he born? In Bethlehem, a little village. Where? In a manger. It's upside down. And when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, the whole Beatitudes are an upside down mentality. Blessed are the poor. What? Are you kidding me? What did the world say? Blessed are the... The rich. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So just every beatitude is upside down. So in an upside down manner, and why is he doing this? Why is God doing this? In order to call out his kingdom people from every people group. How does Matthew end? Go, make disciples of all nations. So here's the story of Matthew. The king has come in an upside down manner. And instead of establishing his kingdom on earth at his first coming, he is calling out kingdom subjects. And he's going to form them into kingdom outposts called local churches. He's going to go up. The spirit's going to come down. And these kingdom citizens are going to live like kingdom citizens in these outposts and then go out and call out more citizens for the kingdom. Does this... Does this make sense? That's the book of Matthew. Okay. Now, how does that break down? Well, w- well, in the middle of this book, or at the beginning, rather, here in 5, 6, and 7, you've got the big idea of the Sermon on the Mount. So what's the Sermon on the Mount? This, these principles are prayer. of prayer are found in the middle of his sermon. Kingdom living is holy living in the now, not yet. That's what the, you know, every message has a main idea. And Jesus' main idea of his sermon was this. Kingdom living is holy living in the now, not yet, between when I've come and when I'm coming again. So here you are. I came. I'm coming again. When I come, my kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. In the in-between time, you are my kingdom citizens, and I want you to see show the world that you are my kingdom citizens because kingdom living is holy living until I come. Make sense? Okay? Now, I gave you a chart, and that chart is the Sermon on the Mount. And so when we look at this, the sermon begins with the kingdom people who are called to holiness, to upside-down living. Then... He calls those people to a pursuit of holiness. And basically, he tells them, think about the most righteous, holy person you can, and then realize you've got to be more holy than them. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, I want you to pursue a holiness that is not humanly possible. In those days, the most holy people were the Pharisees. And he said, look, unless your holiness surpasses the Pharisees you will not enter the kingdom. You know what you, and what would the average person say? If they're not getting in, I can't get in. Then he lays down the principles. This is why it's humanly impossible. And so in verses 21 through 48 he talks about the principles of holiness and the whole principle is inside out purity. Because that's the passage where he says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Well, okay, I can, I can, I can get the fle- in the flesh, I cannot do that. But then he, he says, no, it's not about what you do externally. He says, do not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you even lust. Oh, now I can't control that. And he just go there he says you know do not commit murder. Now, I haven't committed murder. I'm a pretty good I'm a holy person. No. If you just even call your brother a fool, you're worthy of hell eternal punishment. What's he saying there? He's saying look, it's an inside out purity. But it's not just inside he then moves into a section about the practice of holiness, and basically, our holiness as kingdom people is for the Father and not others. And it's in the this is the main section of, of of the sermon, and it's in this section that the Lord's prayer comes in. That's where the Lord's prayer, and then it ends with the proof of holiness, and the proof is where your fruit remains. So. I just want to give you the context. And I want you to see that in the context, the Lord's prayer is our heart cry for His holiness in our lives from the inside out until He comes. I want you to see the context of holiness. Does it make sense now that the first first request is, Holy be your name, your kingdom come, because that's we're his kingdom people. We're his kingdom people. So here's the bottom line. Kingdom living is holy living in the non, now, not yet. Now, let's look next in your notes. It says the big three practices of holiness. They come in that section of practices. Look in your Bibles, verses 6, uh, in chapter 6, 1 through 18. There's three big practices that all... Religions, practice. And what are they? Islam, Judaism, Christianity. The three big holy practices are giving, praying, and fasting. And in the middle of those is praying, and that's where the Lord's Supper, or Lord's Supper, that's where the Lord's Prayer is... his is addressed. Look at look at six. Look at verse one, chapter six, verse one. Remember, this section begins with the practice of holiness. Look at verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your father who is in heaven. So don't. Here's the idea. Don't live holy to impress others. Live holy. To please your heavenly Father. Okay? So when you do these things, giving, praying, fasting, do them the Jesus way. Do them in a way that will please God and you will be rewarded. And so he jumps into the Lord's Prayer, verses 5 through 15. 5 through 15. Now, for the next two weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to realize that unlike that we typically pray in ways that is not pleasing to the Father. So the first thing he's going to talk about is how not to pray like a hypocrite. That's what we're going to do next week. And that's something that I'm an expert in. Well, praying like a hypocrite. So I can help you with that next week. After that, how not to pray like a heathen, like a spiritual orphan. So he tells us how not to pray, and that's the next two weeks. And then we're going to look at how to pray like his holy child. So there's the goal. Our heart cry for his holiness. So let's look at the fourth goal, and here it is. Learn how to pray and live in the now-not-yet kingdom. Learn how to pray and live in the now-not-yet kingdom. Jesus came. Jesus is coming again. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is not yet. As kingdom citizens, we live in the now-not-yet. But when we pray, praying is for living. Are you with me? We need to put feet to our prayers. Praying is for living. And kingdom praying, which is what the Lord's prayer is, is for kingdom living. And so, this isn't just about prayer; it's about how you live your life and how I live our lives. So, let's look at look at how uh, l- let's look at how the the Lord's prayer breaks down. So, look in your your notes there. You have this chart. So, hopefully, I've convinced you in context. Our heart cry for His holiness on earth as it is in heaven. There's the idea of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, though, neatly divides into two sections. It begins with praying for God's glory, then praying for our needs. And there's three requests. They're beautiful. Your name be holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Then... Three requests for our needs. Give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, and deliver us from the evil one. Now, let's be honest. Where does most of our prayer life begin? Where? On the need side. Remember, upside down living, upside down living. Kingdom living is upside down living. We begin here and we go through tendency, a grocery list, and we tend to use the same words. We tend to start out the same way. And I, I've told this story before, so I know I won't get in trouble this afternoon when I get home. but never forget Amber growing up praying together as a family, and we're praying at night and Amber or Gwen was praying, we're all praying, Gwen prays. And she's praying there at night. We're ready to go bed, and she ends her prayer and thank you for this food. Amen. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. As a preacher, I'm like, oh, this I will use this, and I will use this, and I will use this. But you know, let, can we all be honest? Have we? We've all been there, right? But it was so funny. We just like immediately we just look up and we just start, and thank you for this food. Amen. Hey, we do that at the end of our prayers. We do that in our beginning of your prayers. We, we, if we all got together, we could probably tell each other how each of us begin praying in public. Now, I'm not saying that's bad, because repetition and form matter. You know, that's important to our prayers, but think about it. Are you growing in your prayers? Because when I start here in my praying I'm broken out of the routine, and I get caught. In fact, I'll, 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 I'll admit, because I use this structure in my prayer life for the last 20 years, and I often don't get beyond this side. Because when I'm going up to Him, I'm starting to pr- relate people's needs to Him, and my whole heart and attitude's transformed when I start this way. And then how does it end? Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. So even after I pray for my needs, it's all in the context that God get the glory. And the only way my needs are going to be met, the only way my sins are going to be forgiven, the only way my loved ones are going to be delivered from evil is if His kingdom, His power, and His glory accomplishes it. Amen? Now, that just does that not just make you want to pray right now? Does that just not make you want to pray? Good, because that's what we're going to do. Okay, this is how we're going to do. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Take the, it's in your notes, but also take this handout and stick it in your Bible. And I'm asking you for the next 12 weeks to begin to pray and memorize the Lord's Prayer. Now, some of you, like me, you've been a Christian for a while. I got the Lord's Prayer memorized in at least four different versions. I know it, in, well, I, do, I used to. Now I have a conglomeration of King James, New King James, New American Standard, and a little ESV thrown in for good. And when you looked at your Bibles, even this morning, when you looked and we read through this passage, you may have found that this ending was not in your translation. And it's only in the margin. We're going to talk about why that is and why I think it's legitimate to end your prayer that way. In fact, I would put forth to you, if you pray according to this structure, you can't help but end with worship and praise at the end of your prayers. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Here is what I'm asking all... Now, now, first of all, you can memorize any version you want okay memorize any of your version you want but we're going to say this one together and this is basically the new American standard which is very similar to the King James without the these and thines very similar uh, to the ESV and I just made a couple changes like for instance on the sixth petition the new American standard says and do not lead us but uh, other translations have and lead us not and I like that that following of of give us forgive us lead us not deliver us and then when we get to this lesson i uh i believe that it is more accurate to say that jesus is teaching us deliver us from the evil one personified and I'll, i'll teach you why that is so don't get hung up obviously the words are inspired, but translations have different variations. So you memorize the one you want, but here's the one that we're going to say as we go through this series. Are you with me? All right. So let's let's say it together, and I challenge you, let's memorize Because here's what you do. Once you have it memorized, you don't, this isn't ritual. We'll talk about that in two weeks. This isn't ritual. I say it, and then I'm done. This is a walking outline. So I can't help but pray in this outline. And I don't always do it in the same order. That's not the point. But I do begin with God word and then my needs. So let's say this together. And hopefully, uh, if you just say it together for 12 weeks, I bet you you'll have it memorized by the end of it. Okay, So here we go. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Now, Dane and I uh, uh, sporadically uh, memorize Scripture together. And Dane knows that when I re- memorize Scripture, well, I don't know how you describe it. But I, guess, I guess you said you just kind of preach it at you when I recite it. But that's what you need to do. Not to, pre- you know, put put yourself into it. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then pause there for a moment. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And and just go through. And when I get down, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And then I'll put forever. Amen. Isn't that good? Now, you know, upstairs, we have a song where we basically sing this. And whenever I sing this, and whenever I pray it, when I come here, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I always say, on, on, in my heart as it is in heaven. Because that's the idea as a kingdom citizen. Lord, your will be done in my heart. And when I pray for you, according to this, I pray that way. Okay, let me end with this. What I have found by using this structure, that when I don't know what to pray for someone because the situation is so difficult or it's so out of my realm of understanding and wisdom I can always pray this I can always pray this in every situation and when you're praying this you're praying according to the will of the father you're praying to the father like the son by the spirit with his family in the now not yet so, I hope you're excited. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to learning. I hope you're looking forward to learning. Memorize. Pray through that handout this week and see if it doesn't change your heart and your prayer life. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you. And we have prayed to you as our Father. And we have prayed in the name of the Son. And we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to grow as prayer learners so that we can do kingdom living here and now. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray.